This week on God's Favor, do you feel stuck in a spiritual state of limbo? You don't feel cursed by God, but then you aren't seeing His blessings either. How can we release a harvest of God's favor in the midst of such malaise? Welcome to Chapter 2 of God's Favor by Gary Wilkerson. Gary is the president of World Challenge and the host of the Gary Wilkerson podcast. He's also a mentor to pastors and leads many pastors' conferences worldwide. You'll find a conference schedule at worldchallenge.org. God's Favor is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners with biblical encouragement and thoughtful commentary. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you. Please consider joining our donors who believe in World Challenge's mission. You can do that on our website, worldchallenge.org. And now, here's Chapter 2, Your Season of Increase, read by Jason Staples. Life can be difficult with long seasons of struggle. And for that reason, our trust in God's love for us has to be increased continually. That's why in my decades as a pastor, I've grown to appreciate more and more the wisdom of Paul, the church's first great over-shepherd. One of the most important lessons I've learned from his example is this. God wants his shepherds to build up his people, not to tear them down. Many of us start out strong in our faith. Early in our walk with the Lord, we see victory after victory. It's as if the kingdom of heaven has opened up to us personally and everything we experience is fueled by His storehouse of heavenly treasure. Yet as time goes on, the victories we enjoy can seem harder won and fewer and farther between. That naturally brings up questions, even doubts about our life in Christ. We wonder, what happened to God's glorious presence in my life? Is His favor still with me? Or did I do something wrong to make it go away? There are seasons in all our lives when we feel stuck, static, and stranded on a spiritual plateau with nothing to show for our faith. We tell ourselves, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. I've prayed. I've believed. I've invested my whole life in my walk with Jesus. But it doesn't feel like I'm advancing anymore. Somehow, I'm in a strange season when nothing seems to change, and I can't see a way forward. There has got to be more to the Christian life than what I'm living— I have to see greater victory. Whenever I hear these thoughts from Christians, I think of a farmer who plants and tends his fields faithfully but never sees a yield. This farmer works hard plowing and turning the soil, and he has sunshine and rain on his side. But nothing he sows sprouts or grows. He never sees any promising buds or sprightly green shoots, no sign of life. Anyone in his situation might wonder, season after season, I invest all my time and energy, but I never see an increase. I sow faithfully, but for some reason, I'm unable to reap. I've done all I can with nothing to show for my labors. What more could I possibly do? I have a message for everyone who feels stuck on this kind of middle ground, discouraged and not knowing what else to do. Read on. The Lord will encourage you straight from the scriptures. A lot of us don't feel cursed, but we never feel truly blessed either. Many Christians don't think God is against them, but they can't seem to find the blessing of His favor. They haven't given up believing that their Heavenly Father is out for their good, that He wants to heal, strengthen, encourage, and transform their lives. Yet they don't know where to turn to find the abundant life He promises. Maybe this issue shows up in their marriage. Their relationship with their spouse isn't bad but it's also not what they hoped for. 
A husband comes home from work emotionally drained from his demanding job and immediately zones out watching television. As his wife prepares dinner, she longs for just a few minutes of conversation to remind them of their sacred bond, that they're not just going through the motions. Or maybe a wife comes home from her job, her mind churning with all the chores that need to be done after dinner, while her husband wishes for just one moment of genuine connection. Many Christian spouses have sowed faithfully into their marriage for years, but they don't feel they reap from their efforts, never seeing an increase from what they have invested. They don't blame their spouse, because both seem stuck somehow. They're stranded in a kind of neutral territory, unable to find a way to grow. Their common cry is, I know the Lord is good, that God's design for the marital bond is supposed to be fulfilling. So why isn't there more in this for me? I assure you, God cares about your marriage. He doesn't want to see you stuck, no matter what difficulties you're facing, whether dwindling finances, a demanding job, troubled children, or something else. He wants all the gifts and experiences he has given you to come to full fruition, blooming into a lush, full-bodied harvest. In fact, every promise in his word reveals his desire to see you enter a season of increase. Let me show you how. God actually uses our difficulties to bring about an amazing harvest. I know what it's like to desperately pray for rain. One of the greatest agonies of my life was when two of my boys were involved in drugs. It was a prolonged agony, lasting for years. At one point, one of our addicted, prodigal sons even ended up homeless. Kelly and I prayed for them for years, never knowing the right thing to do. Sometimes we intervened aggressively, and at other times we pulled back because we saw that our efforts only pushed them away. We never knew the right way to help them. Their trials went on for years, and it tore us up inside. It's a terribly helpless feeling not to be able to help your children, especially when you see their futures and possibly even their lives at stake. Kelly and I tried everything we could think of, but no effort we came up with seemed to bear fruit. Do you struggle with your children? A lot of Christian parents today see their kids moving so far away from God that they think it's hopeless to keep praying. But I can tell you from experience that there's hope. The Lord rescued our sons. It took a long time and we continually had to surrender them to the Lord. Yet, thank God, no situation is ever lost to him, and here's why. Remember the lesson from the previous chapter. Because Jesus removed every curse, we live in a constant state of blessing. God's desire at all times is to bring healing and joy to our family. Yet he doesn't do it by waving a magic wand over all our difficulties. No, his promise is to be with us through our difficulties. All the while, he's building in us a faith that's as strong during our hardships as in those times when we can see and feel his blessing. My father's life offers a powerful example. He went through a heart-rending situation with his brother Jerry when they were both young fathers. Dad was a well-known evangelist with success as a best-selling author. At the same time, my uncle Jerry was spiraling into alcoholism, and eventually he ended up leaving his family. When my siblings and I were little, we remember every night being tucked into bed by Dad and praying with him for Uncle Jerry. Years later, my uncle came back to Jesus, miraculously, at one of my dad's evangelistic crusades. It took a long time to get to that night. And when it happened, it wasn't just my uncle who changed. Dad changed too. He recognized how he had neglected his own brother while he ministered to crowds of thousands. Their relationship was different after that. 
Uncle Jerry even came to work in my dad's ministry. Talk about a season of increase for our family. Uncle Jerry's return wasn't just about deliverance for one, but healing for all. That's the kind of amazing harvest only God can bring about through our deepest sorrows and hardships. Do you believe he's looking out for you, caring for you, and demonstrating his concern for you despite your struggles? If you need further proof, consider his words to Israel in Ezekiel 36.11. I will cause you to be inhabited as in your former times, and I will do more good to you than ever before. God is telling us, if you think I blessed you in your early years as a Christian, you haven't seen anything yet. I'm going to do more good for you than you've ever known. You have coming a season of increase that you never could have planned for. The Bible is filled with figures from history who seemed permanently stuck, unable to find God's increase for their lives. Moses had a great passion to see the children of Israel set free from their bondage in Egypt. He was raised in Pharaoh's house with a top education and superior skills. Yet in a moment of vengeful passion, Moses killed a cruel Egyptian slave driver who was abusing a slave. He had to flee into the desert, an exile that lasted for decades. At one time, Moses was a royal prince, but he ended up tending sheep for his father-in-law. Stuck in a dusty, barren wilderness year after year, Moses must have been tempted to give up completely on God's plan for him. He had to wonder, Lord, after all of your preparation, all your promises, there has to be something more for me than this. I want my life to count for something. Most of all, I want to see your people set free. A similar bewilderment fell upon Elijah's life. The mighty prophet single-handedly slew 400 prophets of the god Baal in a literal mountaintop victory. But as Elijah enjoyed his great victory in the Lord's name, an enraged Queen Jezebel sent a stampeding force to take the prophet's life. Suddenly, Elijah was on the run just as Moses was. He ended up hiding in a cave, exhausted to the point that he couldn't even feed himself. At one time a hero, Elijah was now a marked man with a bounty on his head throughout the land. Discouraged and depressed, Elijah was stuck in a moment with seemingly no way out. Some Christians read these stories and think, that's just the way God is. He makes life hard for his people. You see it in the Bible and you see it in your friends' lives too. Let's face it, life with God is full of hardship. I want to ask such Christians, have you read the end of these stories? How Moses became Israel's deliverer? God worked amazing wonders through Moses on Israel's behalf. Thousands of years later, even the secular culture uses phrases like promised land and parting the Red Sea, references to miracles associated with Moses, whose life God had powerfully redeemed. Have you considered how Elijah miraculously ended a years-long drought in Israel? Even Jesus refers to Elijah's amazing story in the Gospels. And James 5, 17-18 tells us of God's Spirit moving powerfully in the prophet's life. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. James is saying Elijah was as vulnerable to despair and depression as the rest of us. He agonized over his failures and defeats. Yet this same man actually made the rain stop and then start again. 
Anybody who sets his or her face to seek the Lord in all things is going to have power with God. What an amazing picture of the Lord's power in our lives. He's able to move us through our most desperate trials into victory. These stories tell us that no season of stagnation lasts forever, and that God eventually turns our difficulties into a season of increase. Thankfully, Moses and Elijah understood this, and they never gave up hope. God knows the end of your story, too. The Lord is writing your story even now in the midst of your trial. That's what the author of Hebrews means when he writes in Hebrews 12:2 that God is the author and finisher of our faith. And the end of the story is always this. God is for you. He is on your side, caring for you, looking out for you, and demonstrating his concern for you, no matter what your circumstances tell you. We can never neglect Ezekiel's reminder, especially in our season of difficulty. I will cause you to be inhabited as in your former times, and will do more good to you than ever before. When Ezekiel spoke these words, Israel was living in a kind of middle ground. They weren't sinning outright, but they weren't fully serving him as they had in past generations. At times in their history, they had been captivated by idols or captured by hostile nations. Yet even in those times, God never cursed them, saying, I've had enough of your merry-go-round of sin. I'm done trying to work with you. You've finally frustrated me too much. Away with you, you're a hopeless case. On the contrary, God instructed Ezekiel to tell the people, Hold on. Turn your hearts back to me. You're going to see more of my blessing in your lives than you've ever known before. Jesus gives us a powerful picture of God's desire to bless us with increase in Matthew 13, 18, and 23. Hear then the parable of the sower. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Imagine you're a first century Israelite and you're hearing this for the first time. Many of the people listening to Jesus on that occasion were actually farmers. Any one of them would have rejoiced to get a full acre's yield out of an acre's worth of seed they sowed. That would make for a full harvest, and it was real cause for rejoicing. Yet Jesus was telling them, imagine waking up and finding that your seed spread beyond what you planted. It fell between the rows you planted. It leaked out of your seed sack on the way home. It trailed behind you on the path up to your farmhouse. All along the way, seed fell and grew into a bountiful harvest beyond what you hoped. Thirty times, sixty times, even a hundred times more. Can you imagine that? No, they couldn't. It was utterly impossible. That was the point Jesus was trying to get across. Our Heavenly Father has a multifold increase in mind for us all, a harvest that only He can produce. And he uses the very seeds of our lives, the good times and the bad, the triumphs and the struggles to bring about his harvest. That is his way, and it is glorious. The key to this passage is whether or not we will hear his word and cling to it through our bad times as well as the good. God is increasing your influence and significance, and that isn't based on your circumstances, whether pleasant or challenging. Both work for God's greater good in causing your life to be an ever-increasing blessing on the world around you. Remember the words of Matthew 13, 23. As for what was sowed on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. Jesus' message to us is clear. 
Your father wants a lot for you, much more than you could ever imagine. Sometimes life deals us harsh lessons that we wrongly attribute to God. It's hard for a lot of Christians to imagine their Heavenly Father offering His overabundant favor to them. That's especially true if they grew up with a harsh parent. They see God as a kind of unapproachable ogre, somebody who's ready to criticize or rebuff them anytime He's near. And so they tend to keep a low profile and not ask for much. They might not admit it to their fellow Christians, but deep down they content themselves with just making it to heaven. That isn't God's design for any of His precious children. That's why even timid, cringing Christians eventually grow discontented as they go on with the Lord. They know by the Spirit's groaning within them that God has something more for their lives, despite their cripplingly inaccurate image of God. I have my own experience of a misguided image of the Heavenly Father. My own father wasn't a harsh parent. He could be gruff at times, especially when he was overworked, but he was also an affectionate dad. Even so, all it takes is one isolated incident from childhood to form an inner conviction that distorts our view of God. I wasn't the kind of kid who asked for much. In fact, I rarely asked my dad for anything. When my siblings and I were young, dad traveled so much conducting evangelistic crusades that we were happy just to have him home. Yet while he was away, I consoled myself by getting absorbed in comic books. On the back cover of every issue was an advertisement for some kind of toy, and the one that caught my eye was a Civil War set. It had dozens of soldiers and horses and cannons mesmerizing me with the dazzling world it promised. The set cost a few dollars more than I had access to, but I knew who did have access. My dad. To this day, I've never met anyone more generous, and back then he always carried around bills to give away when he encountered anyone in need. At that age, I saw my dad as an easy mark. So one afternoon, while he was relaxing on the patio, I asked him, Dad, you know I never ask you for much and I showed him the advertisement with the toy set. He must have been under some great pressure at that moment because I wasn't ready for his response. He grabbed the comic book out of my hand and bellowed, Why do you keep asking me for stuff? I give you everything you need and then you want more? I was shocked. His reaction was completely out of character for him. I quickly backed away and for the rest of the day I gave him a wide berth. Yet deep down I blamed myself for triggering his anger. That's what a tender young conscience will do, especially one that never asks for much. I also formed a deep conviction that day, one I held on to for a long time. Don't ask for anything. It could be dangerous, and you aren't worthy to receive it. A lot of us project this same misguided conviction onto God. Some of us have been so blessed by the Lord that we feel timid about asking Him for more. In fact, some Christians end up creating a pharisaical code of humility that states, it's prideful to ask for more than the Lord wants to give me. Yet this approach is rooted more in cringing fear than a true fruit of the Spirit. All of this does God a great disservice, because He's nothing like what our approach to Him suggests. That's the point of Christ's parable. When we come to our Father the way a farmer does who says, I just want an acre's worth of crops, God responds, you aren't asking for enough. I want to give you a hundredfold. That's exactly the point of a powerful passage in Isaiah 49, 4 and 6. I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. The Lord says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. 
I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. In other words, Isaiah, you ask simply for my broken people to be restored. But I say I'll make my people a powerful witness to all the nations of the world. That's the God we serve. The one who takes the meager acre of our lives and does something amazing with it. We cringe before him because of our lack, our brokenness, our meagerness. And yet he says that's exactly the stuff he wants to use to bring forth a hundredfold harvest for his kingdom. We think, Lord, I'm just an average person who has so many faults. But he says to us the same thing he told a cringing Moses. Don't tell me your faults. I already know them all. And I have a plan for your life that's beyond anything you can imagine. While you're battling your difficult circumstance, I'm busy making you a light to the nations. There's a powerful reason God wants us to ask, seek, and knock. Our Heavenly Father wants to open the windows of heaven to us so His name will be glorified as never before. David addresses this when he declares in Psalm 71, 21, You will increase my greatness. Anyone might read these words as boastful or even greedy, but David had something holy in mind. He had already conquered his enemies in amazing fashion, but he knew that each additional victory was another testimony to God's power on his people's behalf. That's why he wrote in Psalm 115.1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Indeed, throughout his life, David never settled for less, saying, I've accomplished enough. God has done plenty through me. My legacy is set firmly in stone. Instead, David wrote in Psalm 115.14, May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. He reasoned, This is no time to slow down my requests of the Lord. O oh God, pass these blessings and more down to my children and to their children. I want my ceiling to be their floor. May your glory increase with every generation that knows you. Paul points to an even more specific reason for God's promise of increase. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Here's the harvest God is after. Righteousness that spreads a hundredfold from its humble beginnings. Friend, that is his design for your life. And it all starts with another kind of increase, one that Paul prays for us all in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. This increase of love is meant for our spouse, our children, and our fellow Christians. Yet when Paul adds, we're to abound in love for all, it extends to our boss, our co-workers, our neighbors, and the people we meet at the mall, the coffee shop, and the grocery store. The Lord has an increase of His glory in mind, and He aims to accomplish it through your life and mine. Can you imagine your marriage being a hundredfold better? God extends that to you. Can you imagine your relationship with a sour co-worker being a hundred times better? God holds out that promise to you as well. Can you picture yourself sharing the powerful love of God with that kiosk clerk at the mall? That's exactly the kind of harvest he has in mind for you. To accomplish this, he asks us to change our view of his love for us. I have a testimony of my own when it comes to this. 
You see, my father eventually surprised me by giving me that Civil War set. When it arrived in the mail, I was awed on several levels. First, despite my fear over his difficult outburst, I never doubted my dad's love for me. And second, I saw the great delight on his face as I opened the package and began playing. His expression erased any lingering fear I may have had about approaching him for good gifts, and it cemented for me the awe that an unexpected gift from our Heavenly Father can bring. We are all going to have trying days, but we can never doubt the amazing love that our Father promises is ours. I'm sure my dad never doubted God's ability to perform miracles after my alcoholic Uncle Jerry appeared at David Wilkerson crusade. Likewise, friend, have no doubt about your father's love for you, no matter what trials you face. Right now, he's writing a story of increase for you, a very different kind of season, all to his great glory. You've been listening to Chapter 2 of God's Favor, read by Jason Staples. This podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. World Challenge is incredibly thankful for the support we receive from many people across the country who believe in our mission. We're able to continue creating resources like this podcast because of donations from listeners like you. You can make a donation at worldchallenge.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. Next week on God's Favor, God's Favor is always working for you, even if you can't see it. Until then, we hope you're experiencing the life God wants you to have.